Hi, it's Kelly. We're getting ready for season two. In the meantime, this week we are resharing one of our favorite episodes from season one. Here's Road Tripping While Black featuring Martinique Lewis and Lawrence Ross discussing their experiences as black travelers and how they discovered their love for the American landscape. Enjoy. As I say to black people traveling anywhere, regardless if it's a road trip internationally, stay alert and aware because you are black. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, we are born into the fact where we have to always be on the lookout. We all have to always be very protective of our space and how people perceive us because we are black. That is very real. Now, that doesn't mean that don't have fun, but stay alert and stay aware. Hi, I'm Kelly Edwards, and you're listening to Let's Go Together. Taking a road trip across America is an adventure many travelers have on their bucket list. However, throughout American history, Black Americans have had to take extra precautions in terms of traveling the country by motor vehicle. Today, I'm joined by Martinique Lewis, president of the Black Travel Alliance and writer and author Lawrence Ross, who documented the blackest road trip ever for the digital publication The Root. You guys, I could not be happier to welcome you both to this show because there's something that each of you have in common and it's that you are both extremely vocal about our culture, our community, and our safety in this world of traveling across the diaspora. And I don't know if I want to say vocal for Martinique. She's got like a bullhorn. So... (laughs) I mean, and that's just putting it lightly. That girl shows up and she is like, this is what we're going to learn today. (laughs) But if you could each just tell me who you are and what you do for those of our audience who don't know. And I love to start with you, Marty. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. I am Martinique Lewis. You are able all to call me Marty, and I'm a diversity and travel consultant first, meaning that tourism boards and travel brands hire me to come in and diversify their marketing strategies and really be able to connect with inclusive communities online and travel marketing and media. Secondly, I'm the creative lead of Nomadness Travel Tribe, one of the first Black travel movements to start in America, as Kelly said, the president of Black Travel Alliance, which is a new alliance formed since the unfortunate death of George Floyd to really hold the travel industry accountable. And now we can add the creator of a new version of the Green Book, the ABC Travel Green Book, which helps connect the African diaspora globally. So like I said, thank you so much for having me. Lawrence, it's amazing to be amongst greatness as of yourself. You flattered me. You fl- I, I was listening to your bio. I was like, oh my God, I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> but, uh, no, my name is Lawrence Ross. I am uh, a writer. I'm the author of a number of books, one of which is The Divine Nine, History of African-American Fraternities and Sororities, and Black Ball to Black and White Politics of Race on America's Campuses. I pride myself on writing about Black folks. My central ethos is that I love Black people. And so one of the things I've always been fascinated by is the diaspora and Black people throughout the United States, throughout the world, mainly because I lecture on college campuses for like the last 20 years. And so I've been going from city to city, from little small towns that a lot of times people bypass because they're on the superhighways. And I'm an adjunct professor at Hollins University in Virginia. And I come out there for a summer MFA uh, course where I teach screenwriting. And I do it every three or four years. And I, you know, being from Los Angeles, I have to drive out there. And so I approached the route about possibly going and trying to, as much as possible, to follow the 1957 Green Book 
as I went out there to find out and discover what was out there that was still there, what was the hidden history, and at the exact same time, try to chronicle what would be a new green book, meaning that what are the businesses out there that I use that are Black-owned businesses? I'm a big, strong proponent of Black-owned businesses. I actually have a an app coming out called 365 Ally, which is both a marketplace and a directory for Black businesses. The whole point is to deconstruct the silos that racism creates economically. And it's for black businesses to come out there and you can sell even for y'all with a side hustle. That's kind of the idea, because that's actually what I saw when I was on on the road. And the whole idea was to make the blackest and it was the blackest road trip you could possibly do. And it was so much fun. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I love this. I love this. I noticed that you said you chose the 1957 Green Book. And why was that, Lawrence? Oh, I chose that one because my mom grew up in Dallas. You know, we require that Western diaspora, that, you know, great migration after the Second World War. And my parents on both sides moved to California from Dallas in 1957 when my mom was 11 years old. And she talked about the fact that they used the Green Book. Um, she talked about two things. She talked about when they were driving, she wanted to always go to a Howard Johnson's and, and my grandmother would uh, go, hush, girl, we can't go to the Howard Johnson's because Howard Johnson's was segregated. And so they had to actually follow all the different Green Book restaurants in order to find some places or they had to go to gas stations and get food from the side of the gas station. And my grandfather, who was a very proud man, refused to do any of that. And so I felt in honor of my my mom that I would actually try to follow that exact same same book. That's amazing. That is really amazing. Let's ease into this conversation before we really get into it. What do each of you love about road trips? I think for me, it's just the fact to be with my family. That sense of family is not how it used to be 50 years ago. Because of things like airplanes, because of things like trains, you know, we don't necessarily get in a car and drive anymore. And I remember growing up for my parents, even though we were going on international trips through the airplane, they made sure that we were driving from California, Lawrence, we're from Oakland, same thing where we came from the South and went right to Oakland. But they made sure that we were driving from Oakland, either going to Memphis, Tennessee, or going to Lake Charles, Louisiana. And so every year we would take those drives. Now, mind you, my dad worked for the airlines. We could get on the plane, but it was something about us being together as a family and us even learning how to use maps. Like road trips are so important for families to come together, laugh, joke, see different things. Like Mm -hmm. even during COVID. We took a a road trip from Oakland down to Fresno, which is only four hours away. But, you know, just being in the car, singing songs, laughing and joking. Remember when having board games in the back, my granny making some fried chicken, like literally everybody just had the food. You know, can you grab me this out the cooler in the back? And it was just four generations of people going. So I think it is so important for families to come back and reconnect. And that's why I love road trips. We have the exact same experience. You know, my family's for Texas. So that meant really you have to think about they were really country people. And so what we did is that from an early age, we drove everywhere. Getting on a plane was kind of exotic, to tell you honestly. I don't remember getting on a plane until I was like a teenager. And so we drove in a 19, a yellow 1972 a Toyota Corolla from Los Angeles, well, Inglewood, where I'm from, to uh, Yellowstone. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a drive, brother. That's a drive. <laughs> oh, it was... That was a normal drive. And, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you have like you were talking about the, the games. We used to have books that were like the word crossword puzzles and things like that. That was all part of the experience. And, and then, you know, we had the annual trip to Texas. 
because for some reason, California folks who are born in Texas um, just can't, you know, leave Texas. And so I actually made the decision that that was going to be part of my son's experience. And for like about a good 12 years, every year for Thanksgiving, I would drive from Los Angeles to Texas. My wife loved it. She had a whole bunch of reclairs and cosmopolitans. She could sit back and relax. My son ate all the fast food he could possibly eat. Um, it was only after I started getting old and I was recognizing, whoo, it's a 24-hour drive, you know, there and back that it kind of gets on your uh, on your bones. But, I mean, I love the whole idea, A, of seeing how beautiful this country is and then also seeing the nooks and crannies of where black folks are. A lot of times we concentrate on black folks in terms of just being in the major cities, but we are everywhere. We are literally everywhere. And it's kind of nice to be able to go off the beaten path and see, you know, your cousins, your relatives and people that you don't know. I think it's important, as Marty was talking about, it kind of ties you as a family when we are kind of disconnected. Absolutely. I actually grew up taking road trips with my family and we would drive to the mountains to, you know, camping. And so road trips for me and my family, very crucial thing, especially since my father is a truck driver. And so his love for the road, he introduced that into our family where air travel was not affordable, nor do my parents or my dad likes to get on airplanes anyway. So I can totally understand how road trips can make the family very cohesive, Mm. to say the least. Mm. So what are some of the things that Black travelers have had to consider historically and present day when taking road trips? Well, I mean, obviously there's the sense of danger. Uh, One of the things that, you know, as Black people, we exist in a world that we're trying to deconstruct white supremacy. And so as you're trying to deconstruct white supremacy, you recognize that, hey, today might not be 1955, but it's still dangerous to be out there not understanding whether or not you're going to be completely safe. Most times you're going to go to places you're going to be completely fine. But there are places where you go, you honestly know that they do not want you in those spaces. Uh, and so one of the things you you tend to try to look for, and I always say black folks go into a town, the first thing you try to find is like the east side. You know, where do black folks live? And that, they'll tell you all the things about where you are to go and where you're not supposed to go. But historically, you know, black people have always been a refuge. You know, a lot of times when I was doing the Green Motors book tour, One of the things I found was basically the infrastructure of an early Airbnb, where private homes by Black folks were used as kind of a refuge when hotel rooms and motel rooms were not available, particularly along Route 66, where, you know, you had to be able to find a spot and you had to find a private home to be able to use. In the same way, when I'm traveling, I tend to only use name brand hotels when I'm, you know, going to a space. It was really funny because a friend of mine who is white is traveling from Los Angeles to Tennessee. She's white and she she went and got on a, you know, like a kind of a kitschy, for fun, kitschy hotel that's on Route 66, you know, like one of those theme hotels. And I was thinking to myself, I never would stay at one of those places. Not that there's anything that's going to happen, but I don't know if anything's going to happen for me. Exactly. Marty? Yeah, I mean, just echoing what he's saying, there's still an issue of safety. You know, the same places that we couldn't go in the 1950s, we still can't go. People are like, oh, racism is dead. It's it's not dead. 
you can go through parts of California where you're going to experience extreme racism, even in Oakland, even in Alameda. So safety will always be an issue, unfortunately, even on a road trip. It could be unconscious bias. You know, you guys can be on the side of the road because of road problems and nobody will stop for you because they feel like you're a threat because your dad is a black man. Like things like this still go on today. So, you know, even though it's not as bad or as overt as it was then, it's still there. There are a few universal items that every car must contain on a long road trip adventure. But for African-American motorists, preparing for a road trip requires more than just snacks and a lengthy music playlist. When we come back from the break, I talk to Martinique and Lawrence about the many things that they take into consideration while preparing for a road trip. We're back. In America, there is a long history over policing of African-Americans, not just by law enforcement, but also by everyday citizens who don't see our humanity. This can lead to uncomfortable encounters, discrimination, and even violence. I talked to Martinique and Lawrence about the many things they have to consider for their safety before embarking on a road trip. Marty, you brought up something that I'd like to touch on briefly. It's unfortunate that if a Black motorist breaks down, you could lose your life. When you think about Terrence Crutcher, who had car problems on the road and was killed because of that. And so when people think about the context of road trips, it sounds all like fun and games, new adventures, you know, national monuments and parks and visiting grandma. But when you think about our community, it has a different connotation because getting pulled over by the police is one thing. Having breaking down in a car is another. And we have all these extra layers that a lot of other people don't have to think about. And that's just the truth. Very much so. I mean, I think, thank God for Airbnbs, right? Because you can face discrimination even when going to hotels. But let's say you're going to an Airbnb somewhere where there's not a lot of Black people around and you're running through the neighborhood because you run every morning. You could have a similar Ahmad Aubrey experience just for being black running through a neighborhood that is not technically black. And people don't understand when you're born black, you're born with a target on your back. No matter what anybody wants to say, no matter what anybody wants to admit, you are born with a target on your back. If you are black and like you said, your car is broken down, they're going to stop and not stop to say, can we help? But stop to say license and registration. It's a notion of what are you doing here? And I think a lot of people don't understand that about being black and traveling, even within the United States, even on a road trip. You know, you go to a hotel. We don't have any more uh, any more rooms. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Stuff like this happens all the time. That actually happened to me on the return trip from my green motorist trip. Right. I made a decision because I took a route that went south on the way to Virginia previously, right? On this way, I had to go to New York for interviews. And I said, well, let me just take the Northern route back and through the Midwest. And I drove, I had a really nice Mustang at the time, right? It was lowered, it was black. And, you know, so it kind of looked sinister and stuff like that. And around Des Moines, Iowa, I broke down, the rear axle broke down. And so I'm on the side of the road. I'm literally, this is literally the thing. And so the police officer comes and I'm sitting like everybody else, you know, waiting for AAA. Police officer comes and puts his hand on the holster. I'm like, yo, I'm literally on my phone. I'm like, I am not posing any threat. So then he was like, you know, license and registration. I'm like, it's in the car. (laughs) You know, do you want, you can go get it. Right. And so he does a 
circle of my car and my front license plate, you know, I kind of got rid of my front. I have my, I'm a, in a fraternity. I'm Alpha Phi Alpha. So I have my front license plate. And he goes, you know, that's illegal in, in Iowa. I'm like, I'm from California. <laughs> you can see by the plate. Wow. I'm in California. Eventually I had to do, which is the, I am the reasonable Negro. Uh, accent. You know what I mean? My, my. We call that code switching. Code switch. I code switch. Like, look, but I'm not going to die in Des Moines, Iowa. I can basically tell you that. I feel you on that. I feel you on that. Let's move into a term that I love to familiarize the audience with. TV shows like HBO's Lovecraft Country have shed light on the concept of sundown towns. Can you explain what this is for listeners who might not be familiar? So sundown towns are basically, particularly in the Midwest, were towns where either you had signage that actually said it, or they were it was by culture that said that you as a Black person could come and work in those particular towns, but you could not live in those particular towns. For example... It's not all in the Midwest. Where I am from, Inglewood, California, was a sundown town here in California, meaning that people could actually go spend money in Inglewood, California, but you could not remain in Inglewood because basically Inglewood was all white at the time. The law enforcement and the sheriffs would do whatever they whatever it took to be able to get you out of town or they would jail you for being in the city limits and they could jail you for whatever excuse that they had. They could jail you for, you know, vagrancy. Why are you there? Um, they could jail you for um, for truancy. They could jail you for any number of reasons, and that was the that was a threat. We still have sundown towns in this country. Yeah, and the and the concept of sundown towns is don't get caught there when the sun goes down. In times where you're thinking, oh, segregation is over. Oh, there's no jump. No, it's it's never been separate but equal. It's still not separate but equal, and you still can't be in certain places. So it's actually really sad. Absolutely. I'm over here shaking my head so hard because you're right. Just because you don't live in a sundown town doesn't mean that you can't escape it. And so that's something for me to be aware of, because like I said, with me and my audacity, I don't want to get caught up. <laughs> and that's just the truth. Right. But but then again, that's not something that is your responsibility. You know, you should protect yourself, but you also recognize that you don't have the responsibility of governing their issues. No. Meaning you have to protect yourself. You have to understand what the realities are, but it's your right to live as a first-class citizen. And so it's the reason why, for example, you know, my son is 21 years old. He's a senior in college. And I never gave him what was quote unquote the talk. You know, I never did that because I never wanted to have him think and believe that he's a second-class citizen in this world. You have an absolute right to be in whatever space that you want. And it's important to do that because one of the things that as black people, you know, when we travel in particular, we're trying to figure out well, how do we balance safety and our own rights. And the one thing that you have to recognize is that you have a right as a first class citizen to speak up and to actually assert your rights. And so when I go through particular towns, I can recognize the dangers. I can recognize and I can code switch. I can do whatever I want, but I will always assert my right to be in, in a particular space. So what are some of the things that you personally do to ensure your safety while on a on a road trip? For me, it's I always send my itineraries, just send my mom, just to let somebody know exactly where I am. But, you know, as I say to Black people traveling anywhere, regardless if it's a road trip internationally, stay alert and aware because you are Black. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, we are born into the fact where we have to always be on the lookout. We have to always be very protective of our space and how people perceive us because we are Black. That is very real. Now, that doesn't mean that don't have fun, but stay alert and stay aware. So for me, I just send itineraries. I try not to go places in the United States where I know like are predominantly red states or where there's like a high level of crime where it's not 
where it's it's everybody against black people. I try not to go to those places or be in those places by myself, but I'm always staying alert and staying aware. And that's, I think that's the best that you can do. You know, you don't want to get to a point where you're always just looking over your shoulder because who wants to live life like that? But the realities of the situation is that that is a lot of times what black people have to do. And that's true. And you know, it's, I'm, I'm listening to both you and Lawrence at the same time. And it's like, you have the same perspective yet slightly different because Martinique is like, listen, I'm black. They know I'm black. I need to be aware because they feel my presence. Lawrence is like, it's my right to be here. I'm going to be here. You have to deal with that, not me. But also, I think we should recognize that I have gender privilege Uh um, in that I'm walking around as a black man during this. And there's a different perspective as a black woman uh, walking down there. There are two, basically two different issues that you're going to have to deal with in terms of your safety. In terms of how I look at it, you know, I kind of walk around with that sense of privilege, keep that third eye open and understand, you know, what is actually going on. But I don't think you need to be, you don't need to be cowered by it. You need to enjoy this place that is your home. This is your country. This is a place that if you want to go to the Grand Canyon, that's your Grand Canyon. If you want to go to a little diner on the side of the road, that's your diner. And so one of the things is that when you walk in there, if somebody gives you trouble, hey, that's on them. You know, you can handle it in the way that you feel best. But you're, you know, black folks are normally prepped to handle things like all that. But it's your right to walk in in whatever space, because that's where you discover, obviously, about other people. But you also discover things about yourself. And, you know, you discover how you are and how you relate with other people. Being that our guest Martinique is the author of a travel guidebook based on another travel guide with a historical legacy. And our other guest, Lawrence, documented a cross-country road trip highlighting Black American landmarks and establishments. I had to ask, out of all the road trips they've taken over the years, which one was their favorite? Marty, what has been your favorite road trip today and how far did you travel? I would say California to Ohio. My dad has lived in Ohio for 20 years. And he used to live in Wilberforce or Xenia, Ohio. And so we used to take three-day road trips. And boy, oh boy, those road trips were something else. But it would be me and all my siblings. So, you know, my dad is a, is a dad. So everybody got a different mom. So you see your siblings in the summer when everybody was getting shipped out there for the summer. But yeah, we would take these road trips. And it just would be so much fun because my dad is so much fun. He's such a jokester. But, you know, my older brother's a jokester. My older sisters are a jokester. So, you know, just being able to travel through and really see parts of America you wouldn't normally see. And you got to think about it. we're California kids. So, you know, we're used to water, you know, <laughs> we're not used to just droves and droves of country, you know, but being able to stop in Opelousa or being able to stop in Chicago or Detroit right before we get to Ohio. It just was always a treat for us because it was a way for us to experience different states. Like, I think a lot of kids now, we're so used to traveling internationally, we don't get what's right here at home in America. And so funny, people always say, you know, America might as well, you know, just be a, just be something on its own. Like, it, all your states can just be individual countries. And it's the truth, because you get the best of everything. So yeah, that would probably be my favorite. I've never done a California to New York, and I, I pray I don't ever have to. But those three days for uh, Ohio were long enough. And you're talking about an extreme heat, you know, and it's just, but I wouldn't trade those trips for the world. So that has been my favorite road trip. Lawrence, what's been your favorite road trip? And if it's not the blackest road trip ever, I'd love to know what other one it was. 
I guess it has to be a combination. It has to be, you know, the road trips, you know, with my family, because I think that was one of the smartest things I ever did in terms of, you know, I was the only one driving, by the way. Uh, they did that to you? Well, they did it to me and I also didn't trust them. <laughs> so, so, so driving across Texas, it takes a special uh, heart to, uh, to drive through Texas. So I love that. And then I did love the, the blackest trip ever. It was great because I learned a couple of things. Um, I learned, you know, obviously there were places where I, you know, discovered a lot of historical places, which was great. But I also learned something about a particular travel and black women in particular. And one thing I learned was that a lot of black women in the black motorist book got erased. You know, I could do a lot of research and I would always do my research after I arrived. So I would kind of pick the, you know, blindly pick up space go to the place, find out what was there, you know, an address, and then at the hotel, try to do some research. And oftentimes there was a lot of easy stuff to find. They were in biographies and things like that. But black women were hard to find. Black women would be hard to find either by marriage because, you know, their names change or people would just use their first names or nicknames and, you know, they would disappear. And so that was one thing that I'm I'm kind of curious about all the spaces that are owned by black women, restaurants, hostels and things like that, that we kind of don't know that are right around the corner or have historical significance that I would really love at some point in time to actually do a deeper dive. Actually, that, that makes me really curious as well, because we don't talk about ownership in our community enough. And so that would be something that I'd be interested in, especially to play, pay homage to Black women, because we are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you will get a vote from me. And not to do a shameless plug, but I will do a shameless plug. The 365 Ally app is about kind of doing that. Because what happens oftentimes is that we have all these businesses but they're everywhere and you don't know where they are. It was very difficult, for example, for me to find like black owned gas stations. Took me forever. I was trying to buy everything black on my way. And, you know, there were certain things I just couldn't. There was no directory or the directories were so kind of fractured that you just couldn't find them. It wasn't easy to find. them. But when I found things, it was great. Like I wanted a juice bar in Dallas and I had been, you know, going to Dallas all my life found a juice bar by these sisters. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I can found one, right? There are these things that I think that we have plenty of businesses. We just don't really chronicle them or have them at an easy accessible place where we can actually patronize them on a regular basis. I had the similar experience and everything that Lawrence is saying is 150% true. And part of it is just that we, for one, we're not listed in Google as a black owned business. So it's so funny whenever I have trolls who come after me with the, with the ABC travel green book and they're like, Oh, I could have just found this on Google. No, you couldn't have. Cause if you could, it wouldn't be no reason for me to put it in a book. And then I'm like, and it would take you the two years it took me to be able to find them, you know, and people don't believe that. But like he's saying, like, there's nothing that identifies us as, as black owned. And then also, you know, no shade to any black business owners, but as black business owners, we have to do better. List ourselves on Google. You know what I mean? Make sure that we have a website, a telephone number, all of that, because then it's so hard to be able to find us. It really is. People have no idea the amount of research that it takes. Absolutely. So just to bring it back a little bit, what are your top three favorite Black American landmarks since you've both spent so much time on the road? Ooh, Ooh, that's a good question. That is a really good question. Okay, so for me, most of them come in Maryland. 
because Maryland was the place where there was like the first black owned airport. And people don't realize like PG County, Hyattsville, Maryland is where the black people with money are, right? So at every point in time, you know, in Maryland, there were all of these black owned establishments that aren't there anymore, but that have such historical significance, like that first black owned airport that then the military took over because they needed the hangar for military purposes. But we all know how that goes. Um, another one I would say that I wish was still around. I always say when I become a millionaire, I'm going to buy Idlewild and I'm going to make it back into what it used to be back in the day because it was this mecca for black families to go, you know, for vacations. And then for me, Kansas City, Vine Street, 8th and Vine, like for me, so much historical significance for African-Americans. So like one thing was Homer B. Roberts sold his cars out of there. And a lot of people don't know who Homer B. Roberts is, but Homer B. Roberts, along with Victor Hugo Green, were the reason black people could travel up and down Route 66. If Victor Hugo Green didn't create the Green Book, we wouldn't have been able to go. And for Homer B. Roberts, he was a black car salesman, the first one. And he would give black people the money to then give back to him so that they can buy cars because nobody else wants to sell us cars. So his showroom is right there across the street from the, the National Jazz Museum and the Negro Baseball League. It's just right there across the street. And I can remember going there and just being like, wow, like so much stuff happened right here. So I would say those are my, those are my top three places. I'm sorry. I know I get so passionate, but no, those are my top three places. <laughs> you, you come with the facts to back up the places. So this is great. This is great. My top three would probably be Harlem because every time I go to Harlem, I think about all the history that is there. I always have a great time in Harlem. It never disappoints. You know, it's never one of those places where you go like, ah, you know, kind of the, the myth is bigger than the kind of, you know, the, the actual reality. It never, ever disappoints. I get to Harlem, I go like, I need to buy a brownstone. Now those brownstones are heck of expensive. But, you know, I, I always say, man, we need to have a brownstone here. The other one is the National African American Museum, which is just every time I see it, I swell up, you know. A, I swell up in pride. B, I got to make sure I got some good shoes because it's going to take you three days to go through everything, you know, and it's just the dopest experience on the face of this earth. And <laughs> this is, is going to sound hell of self-serving. But the number three is the place that my frat brothers and I own here in L.A. called the Metaphor Club. And the reason why I say that is because we created two years ago, we created a creative working space in Lamert Park. It literally is one of my favorite places to go. But if I was going to do an, you know, a bonus and add it one that is not, you know, the metaphor club, it would be a little bit like Idlewild, but it would be Allen's Worth. Both Martinique and Lawrence struck me as well-prepared motorists who are not only aware of what they are up against as Black travelers in today's society, but who in general wouldn't be caught traveling without all of their basic road trip necessities. I asked both of these road warriors exactly what those necessities are. So what are each of you, if you could just give me your top road trip must have? I would say the Skyroam. Oh, of course. You need Wi-Fi. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. You need Wi-Fi. So I would say the Skyroam. And just because, you know, it has it has the camera on there now so you can take pictures of you guys in the car and it has the phone charger in there if you want to use that. So, yeah, I, I would say Wi-Fi, definitely. I'll also say regular old maps. Like there's a nostalgia about regular old maps now. 
even if they build new highways. But like if you can if you can navigate yourself without a GPS and with the old school map, you can navigate yourself through life. OK, learn how to read a map. Let me tell you, everybody in L.A. used to have that Thomas guy. I was going to say that my dad, he doesn't know anything about a cell phone. My dad still to this day uses the Thomas guide. And like when he opens it up and I see all his pin markings in there, I'm looking at like this is like. Now, some sort of family <laughs> heirloom. Uh, heirloom. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. I, that's all I knew was about Thomas guys growing up. So it's so funny that you bring that up. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure they're online now or an app, but the old school version is amazing. So I love that you bring that up. As a teenager, I had a Thomas guide in my 60 bug. It was slammed. It was, gr- it was all cool. But you still need to know where you're going because I'm from Inglewood. I had never traveled out of Inglewood. So yeah. the only way to figure out how to get somewhere was to look at a map. Absolutely. And what happens when that GPS is, is keeps reloading? <laughs> or what happens when it dies? Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> you better learn how to do something. <laughs> so true. So true. And my last question is, what's on your interstate travel route? bucket list well i think i've been on the interstate pretty much everywhere around the country i might not have a bucket list there okay so i went to ghana um about maybe now it's like 20 years ago and we drove two hours from accra to cape coast which was like going up a pacific coast highway basically in africa and that got me thinking how dope it would be to like land in accra and then just just drive the circumference of of Africa, going to South Africa, wow. going up to Zimbabwe, and all the way up to Tanzania. So that's kind of in my post COVID <laughs> worldview of what I would really love to do. That's amazing, Marty. I would say I have two. So I would love to go to all of the underground railroad spots that are still left. So like you have some places like that are random, Janesville, Wisconsin, but you also places like Baltimore, Maryland. I would love to go on a route that took me to those. And I would love to do a black history route of California because like there's so many things that were there that aren't there now. So there's like a lot of dude ranches and, you know, there were black owned hotels. Mm-hmm. Like once you get to the LA area and I would love to just really do a route where you kind of paid homage to all the black people who were in California, regardless if it was Northern or Southern. I did want to ask one question with Marty because you did create the ABC green book and that is more to approach the world, the entire world for the diaspora, which I think is really, really important. I took a road trip in Israel from Tel Aviv all the way down to a lot. And that was one of the most spectacular road trips that I've ever taken in a little red Fiat. And so my question to you is, can you think of anywhere international that you would recommend for a road trip for Black travelers? So right now I'm calling you guys from England, so London, and I would go either from London to Bristol or London to Newcastle. One thing I, I realized when doing research for the book was how important this the city of Newcastle was. And a lot of people have no idea about it, but it's where Frederick Douglass got his freedom from. So a lot of people didn't realize how many black slaves would come over to England to go to Newcastle and get their freedom and then come back. I remember Underground, the show Underground, did something about that and it didn't connect me until I was looking up Newcastle and like, this is where Equiano got his freedom from. You know, this is where Martin Luther King gave a commencement address speech because Newcastle is like a staple for 
emancipation, even though it's outside the US. So I would say if you're in London, go to Newcastle and see these places or go to Bristol, which just has rich black history all throughout that people would love to see. Oh my gosh. And I would go to a third. I would uh, have to make a trip to Manchester to support my Manchester United. Other than that, I'm good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you both so much. Like the energy in this conversation was out of this world and I knew that was going to happen. I appreciate your time, your insights and your experiences. Good, bad, ugly, and absolutely beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. This was so dope. (laughs) Thanks so much to Martinique Lewis and Lawrence Ross for sharing their adventures with us. You can find Marty at abctravelnetwork.com and on social at Marty underscore San Diego. To learn more about Lawrence, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Alpha1906. That's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Jamila Zaral-Williams, Lena Beck-Sillison, and thank you to our digital executive editor, Deanne Kazerski at Travel and Leisure. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag. And you can find me, your host, Kelly, at Kelly Set Go. And that's Kelly with three E's. <laughs>